This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI Audio's on air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the big man himself, Kelly McDonald. Folks, we're just about, okay, I've given it the push. The gateway to the weekend is slowly swinging open. And we say slowly because on Fridays, we've got so much else to get to on the program ahead of time. So it it eases open nicely, carefully, and sets you up for your weekend. Margaret Weldon joining me today on the program. Mags, Santa Claus parades all around us. The holiday train afoot, wherever you go. It was in London here the other day. Things, at least parades, some good food, and and certainly CP holiday trains. I do, but you know what? The thing is, is that the holiday train came to Toronto um, earlier this year than it has in other years. So the only way I was able to find out about it was I was listening to CTV News the other night. And... Uh, um, the the Toronto weather reporter was actually at the at the Scarborough site where the holiday train was was coming. So, wow. yeah, wow. I say I didn't get to see it this year, but you know what? I, I'm still glad that it's out there because it really does a lot of good for a lot of people. And that's oh, yeah. what you know. Yeah. Well, I, I think it was here Monday or Tuesday or something like that. Usually, but as you say, it is a tiny bit earlier. I think we were a couple of calendar days earlier than usual uh, when I was working for AMI TV. Uh, that was my first exposure to this holiday train when I was doing television work and it went back quite a ways. And I remember shooting it twice, once the junction there in Toronto and one out east of Toronto, maybe in Oshawa or or Whitby, somewhere like that. And yeah. that was my first shoot uh, going out to cover it. And I could see a little more than I can now. So the lights really uh, amazed me how many lights. And I'm colorblind, so I, it's not like I could see the color, but I could see the shapes and walked alongside that train the same as, as everybody did as we were getting footage. And the concert, when this thing opens up, and I think Valdi was playing, the, the 1960s, 70s uh, Canadian rocker. He was playing, and it really was, uh, was tremendous uh, the way that that worked. Once the train stopped, the side opens, and away, away he went. So if people have that chance, and I've heard the lineup. There's lots of great musicians, depending where you are, on which leg of the train and, and as it comes in and who's, who's doing it on the music, which you can find out online, of course. Uh, you may want to check it out. The families, I know weather's always the challenge and, and things like that, but uh, definitely it's a, a nice half hour once you're there and the train pulls in spent. Um, and here's and here's another thing too. Um, now, when it used to come in, Kelly, and I don't know whether it did this when you went and covered it, but see, it used to come in around December 17th or 18th, right? So that's what I mean. It came in a few, but this year I, I it's the first time I think I've ever heard of it being 14 cars long. Wow. Oh my yeah. goodness, I didn't know that. Wow, and I love the fact that they're working at filling up the food banks, especially this this year. We we just have so much more need for the food banks, so many more donations that need, but people are struggling because a lot more people are using the food banks. So that has become in itself a a, a bit of a, a problem because, you know, want you to bring your donations, but a lot of people are using the food bank because there's so much cost to food and and people struggling. So uh, if you get that chance, do contribute, do go out to see it. Even if you can't really contribute, it's uh, it's a nice time for the families. Let's take a look at what we've got coming up on Kelly and Company. John Beeler will be here in a bit to inform us about a massive 
Twitter data, data leak, uh, and it exposes over 5.4 million accounts. Eee. Yeah, my goodness, eh? Blind Square has created and added an app in Niagara Falls to make its trail more accessible for blind and visually impaired people. Our content report, our regional content development specialist, Karen McGee from Eastern Ontario and Quebec, has the details later wow. on the show. We could use more of that stuff going on. So fantastic. A popular fantasy audiobook series has charmed its way up to a billion hours of listening. Ryan Huey on the Chatty Bookshelf will have that scoop for us in hour two here on Kelly and Company. Hockey Canada says, and this, folks, I've got to say, is, is, is I've got a couple of things here, if we can get to them both, uh, really frustrating, um, really, where are we at in this world that, that, to be bringing this stuff forward? And I know I'm not supposed to be doing it on a Friday, but it's important stuff to talk about. Hockey Canada says there are more than 900 documented alleged incidents of on-ice uh, discrimination across all levels and age groups during the 2020 Uh, 2021-22 season out there. The data comes from the organization's first ever report tracking discrimination. The incidents include verbal taunts, insults, and intimidation. Hockey Canada says 512 penalties for discrimination were called by officials, and 415 allegations were investigated after the fact. The report's release comes after Hockey Canada announced an action plan in July aimed at addressing what it called toxic behavior in the sport. Adam Burns, the Canadian Press. So, Margaret, I'm not going to suggest for a moment they could do more or less or aren't doing enough. We know... We need to do our part. Teach kids, teach people, don't do this stuff, okay? We can say, well, they need to do more to investigate. Well, they need to do as much as they can, and we are finding there's follow-up. I don't know and can't speak to the manpower they have to, you know, investigate these things. Um, You know, people power is an important thing to consider, but there is some action. There is, right now, a harsh focus on this, so I've got to say, okay, Late, yep, we know this stuff's been going on. We know, even from our own experiences in sports, that people say stuff to you to get you wound up, especially in team sport. Um, but so much of it is uncalled for. So much of it hits below the belt, as we've always heard when you, as the old boxing term, hey, no hitting below the belt. You don't do it. And that's what rel- oh, people have to really get to. Go ahead, sorry. I had relatives who actually... Um, played in, in even minor league hockey. Now, when I'm talking minor league hockey, I'm talking even about the little four and five-year-olds, you know, and those are very impressionable minds. And I think one of the things that really disappointed me then, and unfortunately it does get carried on into, you know, adult professional hockey is kids were made fun of because they were overweight or because, you know, of where their parents came from. And I'm not just saying like, like skin color or anything like that. So, yeah, it is It is far too late. It has to be stopped, and it needs to be stopped now. And it's hard to stop something that we all know better that we shouldn't be doing no matter what age you're at. And here's someone else that should know better as well. The rapper formerly known as Kanye West has been kicked off of Twitter. In a rambling interview with conspiracy theorist Alex Jones on Thursday, the rapper Ye, formerly known as Kanye West, talked about his recent meeting with Donald Trump, made anti-Semitic jokes, and said he saw good things about Hitler. His Twitter account was suspended after posting a picture of a swastika merged with a star of David. The platform's new owner, Elon Musk, tweeted that the rapper had again violated our rule against incitement to violence. Ye posted an unflattering picture of Musk in what he called his final tweet. Meanwhile, Parler announced that the rapper is no longer buying 
the conservative social media site. Back in October, they'd said the acquisition would be completed near the end of this year. Parler was launched in August of 2018. It surged in popularity when followers of Donald Trump migrated to the site. It had to be relaunched after it was kicked off of Google, Apple, and Amazon web servers in January of 2021 over its ties to the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. I'm Jennifer King. You know, it's amazing because we always think, yeah, you're entitled to the way you feel, the way you think. And I always say to people, but it's what you do with it. It's who you inflict it upon, who you force it on. Um, you know, that's that's just a no-fly area for me. And I just, I, I hear these things, two items today, and just do the head shaking because just leave people alone. Let us each be who we are and stop right. pushing your will on others. We'll step yep. aside for a couple of moments. Grant Hardy, up next right here on Kelly and Company. got another week of uh, shows here as Kelly and Company before we transform to the program Kelly and Rumya, which is, you know, same content, same folks all on board. So, okay, name change, moving to television, simulcast here on AMI-audio. Still, though, the community program that we are still with you, and uh, we'll look forward to that as we launch January the 9th. But we'll be taking a bit of a sabbatical. In the meanwhile, send your messages to us. Send your suggestions for audiobooks. All the stuff's still the same, folks. We'd love your messages, especially as we go onto the TV side and uh, be able to play some of that content and, um, you know, moving forward, of course. But lots of content ahead still this week. Feedback at AMI.ca if you want to send an email. Feedback at AMI.ca. Call us, 1-866-509-4545. Appreciate hearing from you, but give us permission to use your message on air. Mention it's for Kelly and company. Uh, 1-866-509-4545. On Twitter, at AMI-audio is the handle, at AMI-audio. Margaret Weldon with me today, Kelly McDonald here, and we welcome in from Vancouver, uh, Grant Hardy joining us, reporter out here, uh, out there, uh, for AMI, and of course, filling in and doing all his great things here uh, on uh, Kelly and Company whenever we need him, but uh, of course, main staple now for lifestyle and health reports here on the program today. He brings us lifestyle. Hello, Grant. Welcome back. Hey, guys. Kelly and Margaret, how are you doing? Well, so far, a good start to the show. A little, eh, you know, a couple of frustrating topics to, to get into at the beginning of the show. But, you know, again, uh, we're swinging the gateway to the weekend open. So, so you know, all's good. Oh, good, good. Well, we're doing pretty cold out here on the West Coast. And I think I might just start with that. I mean, look, it's a little cliche, but I just thought I'd bring this on and give my perspectives. Because this week up plummeting temperatures across the lower main, mainland here combined with leftover snow from Tuesday's uh, huge snowstorm made the uh, yesterday's commute really tricky. Environment Canada actually issued a special weather statement warning of frigid temperatures in Metro Vancouver with wind it was, chill It was like values. flash freezing, wasn't it, basically? Oh, yeah. 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 We're, talking, we're talking wind chill values of uh, uh, minus 10. Don't laugh at us. That's cold for wow. us. Wow. <laughs> the cold air and blast of wintry winds means um, that some parts of the snow from Tuesday's storm uh, would, uh, had melted. I was predicted to freeze again, and uh, untreated roads and sidewalks would turn into icy 
hazards. Uh, we are talking about some very frigid temperatures. They were reminding people to shelter their pets and make sure to provide them with uh, warmth. And it kind of brought up this uh, topic for me that, um, again, it's incredibly cliche and probably harder in a city like Vancouver where we're not as used to it. Uh, but uh, travel on snow and ice for me, a white cane user is especially difficult. And one of the interesting things that I found is, uh, you know, there are all these little tricks that they teach you in mobility. And one thing that I do is to, I generally tend to cross slightly away from where the actual cross ramp is so that I kind of have a straighter curb that I can align with. Don't try this at home if you haven't been trained. This is just sort of my ex experience with the streets that I know. But what happens is all the snow gets piled right at those sections, right at those curbs. And uh, that essentially obscures the majority of my landmarks. Uh, my partner actually gave me some grippers they're they're kind of like the ones you would use to play curling in right fact, we did the a rubber grippers. on yeah and those yeah. are really helpful but the the icy conditions on the sidewalks are also really tricky so i find that it's very difficult to venture out i just was curious to get your perspectives is it different in toronto or ontario where you guys are maybe more used to that do you want to start kelly or should i no go ahead max okay um, well, to tell you the truth, Grant, what you're describing is not all that different from what we experience here in Toronto, but I will point out a couple of things, and I don't know if you get this or not, but sometimes when it's really been snowing outside and the plows haven't been able to come, it, it can make the sidewalks even with the, with the street, like with the, uh, with the street. So you don't know that you're stepping off a curb sometimes. That's it. That's and exactly it. And, and, and I know that people, and I've mentioned this to people before and they get so mad, but too bad. Um, cars are quieter now. And when you add the, the, the piles of snow, you like to kind of, you know, to pad the tires or whatever, that makes it twice as difficult, at least for me anyway. I don't know if you get that or not, but that's me. Yeah. The wind too, or sorry, the wind, I mean the falling snow, we've talked about wind, but yeah. even just the falling snow, masking sound. Now, what I find very treacherous and, and always the scary thing for me is any ice. Uh, Grant, have you ever been on dealing with that ice and, you know, with the wind actually literally being pushed along the ice? I, I find that oh, one absolutely. of the most disconcerting, fearful things because you're saying to yourself, how do I stop? What's coming? What else? What, what am I being pushed in the path of? That's it. I've never actually uh, fallen on the ice, but I've literally slid on the ice like I'm skating. And what happens is it throws out totally throws out your alignment and like like margaret said you know you're talking about some very subtle transitions between the sidewalks and the streets and it can just or also the grass line where a lot of oh yeah white cane users would tend to follow i know i'm kind of preaching to the choir here but uh man it would be nice to think that uh you know there's been such strong advocacy here for some other groups of travelers and i'm not saying it's perfect for them either but i i don't know why it's so difficult to get the right accommodations that would make traveling just you know you always get those people who are the experts the people who are 
fantastic travelers and they claim they have no problem with anything. But kind of for the, the people like me who are, are you know, I, I'm the guy that if I was sighted, I'd be pulling out Google Maps and I'd be like, oh, it's going to tell me to turn right. Here we come. And then it would say turn left. Oh, crap. Uh, for people like me, like I really need a little more accessibility than I'm getting. And and I understand it takes time, especially if a city – and Grant, this is kind of where the difference that I would think – and again, I mean, we have snow dumps here in London, and sometimes it takes two or three days for them to get to to the, the neighborhoods and things like that. But a place that's not as used to um, – I know there's also – people have to consider how much snow equipment they have, how many salters and sanders what going out there. I understand for some places where, well, why are we spending that money if we only really have an incident every two years – of of this magnitude versus every week in the city of London, Ontario, right where that where we have to do it. Understand all that. Understand it's going to take time, even in the places that get it to remove it. But we look at the trouble that it can be, and and if you're going to remove it, if you're going to take time to to make those pathways for people to to utilize. Could we just make them a little more readily available for people in wheelchairs? Um, uh, you know, make it so that a cane user isn't constantly fighting their way. Yep, I understand what you mean about those those certain travelers who may say, "Hey, I have no problem." And unfortunately, if said traveler A says, "I have no trouble problem," uh, you know, the other five travelers <laughs> get nullified. It it, it seems because the solution is. Too big. How do you say, well, you guys better get out there and clean those better. But you see a lot of that in downtowns where a lot of people are. There's more snow snow removal. And some will argue, well, how come I don't get that in the suburb? Well, you're in the suburb. Uh, and, there's and there's no point of paying it for a shoveling service either. Like, I don't know if you guys have them. But, you know, um, I I remember when uh, my, my late partner got really sick one year. So I, I actually was two years in a row. I tried getting shovel services, you know, like where they where they come and yeah. shovel your driveway. And what it is, you you pay a certain amount up front. Right. right. And, and, and you know what? Didn't show up at all. In fact, oh, you know, they, when, oh, I, when I phoned, yeah, when, when I phoned to complain, you know, they said, oh yeah, we were there, but you just didn't see us. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, yeah. yeah. You know, and, and, and they could take it. And the snow didn't see yeah. you there either. That's why it's still there. Yeah. That, that's right. That, wow. That's right. You know? Yeah. yeah. It, it gets to be really hard because you don't, you don't want to be unreasonable. You want to be fair, but we've still got to move. We still got things to do and your life depends on it, uh, being able to get out there. And sometimes we don't know some of the, the dangerous things, such as when people can't see us due to piles of snow. And so you may not even know that. Or like you said, Grant, man, I'm, I'm walking along and realized, how come that car is almost up on the sidewalk here? Oh, it's because you're on the road. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I guess the, the last thing I, I would just say is like, you know, it, it, we we have to stick together as as a community. There's there's accommodations that I hear that people say they need that I kind of go, I don't really need this accommodation. But, you know, I think we have to support. We just, sure. we just have to stick together and support each other instead of tearing each other down. Yeah, and, and I don't think, I think the small victories of, well, I don't need that. Yeah, but somebody does. And we have to advocate. Yeah. You may not need the automatic door, but somebody does. So why would you ever have, you know, put be so self-focused that, well, I don't need it. You know, can you can you stretch a bit to at least support it, don't damage it, be take care of it, and advocate for it? You know, you got to remember one of those doors for somebody who might need that. Just speak up. That's it. That's the idea. Okay, sir. Um, yeah, well, boy, that was a little stressful. So let's do something to relieve our stress. And that's why I'm talking today about 
stress falls. Hey, not the best segue in the world, but it'll do. Uh, now, when we talk about uh, stress falls, we're referring to these squishy, malleable objects that typically fit in the palm of your hand. Uh, they can be store-bought or homemade, and though uh, most are round, they're not all perfectly shaped orbs. Now, basically, the question that we are uh, asking is, do stress balls actually decrease stress, or is this kind of a marketing gimmick? Well, the action of working with a stress ball helps improve strength in the hand and forearm muscles, grip, and circulation, and can help alleviate pain, such as pain associated with arthritis in the hands. These uh, physical benefits do translate into mental perks too, like squeezing a stress ball can help the mind focus on the movement instead of what's actually uh, bothering you. Uh, but research has been pretty inconclusive on patients outside of the medical system about whether it actually decreases stress in life. Uh, there's actually only a small 2015 study of 30 college students after a period of induced stress, half the group, these students were given a stress ball to squeeze while the other half received nothing. The researchers measured a few physical indicators of stress, including heart rate and blood pressure at the beginning of the end of the experience. And they compared the results finding no significant differences between the groups. But of course, absolutely none of this is to say that stress balls don't live up to their name. While other relaxation trends come and go, these squishy spheres have been around for more than 30 years. And uh, if it helps you, it has absolutely little to no risk of causing harm if used correctly. Uh, there are some tangible, physical, and a few mental benefits as well. Uh, nothing wrong in the world with getting a stress ball or a fidget spinner. Uh, what do you guys feel about this in uh, your life? Do you ever use something like this, Is it a fidget spinner or a stress ball? I think I used the stress ball maybe twice in, in, in my whole <laughs> life. Um, and I, I've seen fidget spinners, but I can't see that I, I can't say that I've used them either. Yeah, I, I think I, I, you know, Grant, it takes me back to your working out when you're angry talk the other day. Uh, I know I've used the squeeze ball, but ma not so much out of mainly just to build up because I have weak grip in my hand. So in in uh, in the gym, I would use them too, just to work on my 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 grip, so that I could do the firm handshake, Grant. Pal, thank you very much. Awesome stuff. All right, guys, we'll chat with you in a bit. Yep, Grant will be back when we do our Cut for Time segment. Remember to check him out here on the program for uh, health headlines. And today, on Fridays, that is, lifestyle headlines. Up next, John Beeler. He joins us also from out there in the Vancouver area, and he's got our app updates. Find us from your TV. MTS customers, guys, you can look for us over on channel 704. And Rogers Atlantic, look for us on channel 196. Visit ami.ca slash audio for a list of channel locations in your area. Margaret Weldon joining me today on the program. Kelly McDonald with you as we open the gateway to the weekend here on a Friday edition of Kelly and Company. Wherever you're listening in, thank you for being with us. 
Well, I made a mistake before the break, Mags. I, I, I thought we were getting into one of our two-thirds Vancouver hour, um, and, and we're not today because we're staying west, but way out there. As a matter of fact, we'd go from talking with Grant about trying to navigate through slush and snow to somebody navigating through the warm desert wind that blows into Vegas every once in a while, like uh, every 10, 10 seconds or so. John Beeler joins us for our weekly app update. And uh, welcome, sir. How's life? How's weather? How was the tech show? Uh, fantastic. All around. Although the weather was a little chilly a few days. And we they had the big uh, wrap-up party last night at a big festival fairgrounds. And it was cold. Wow. It's it's funny when you hear that, eh? and people say, "Hey, you mean you went there?" And it's like people think, "Oh, it's such an anomaly for it to happen." And I mean, I'm not suggesting for a moment they're getting minus ten like we were talking to Grant about, but uh, you know, the cooler weather uh, does does happen out there. Uh, was the show good? It was fantastic. It was Amazon Web Services big show, and they were showing off all the new technology that basically takes advantage of the cloud. Wow! Oh, oh, oh. lots of stuff to talk about in the upcoming weeks uh, about it. I think so, yes. Okay. Let's start. And of course, we know on Fridays with you, <clears throat> and today we've been maybe not being as, as cheerful of a, of a show <laughs> as we try to be on Fridays, but we know with yourself, we've got some information for people they got to know about. A Twitter data leak exposes over 5.4 million accounts. Wow. This is crazy. Yeah, we actually talked about this a little while ago when it first happened. Uh, I think it was in the summertime. Oh, we did, and, yes. Yeah, and and to, to, at the time, Twitter said nothing was compromised, no nothing big deal. was exploited. Yeah. But now we've found out since then that uh, those 5.4 million uh, records have been uh, posted on the dark web. So um, what this means for, for people uh, is that if you have a Twitter account, you probably had to set up some kind of authentication with an SMS or telephone number, uh, your email address, and probably other things like maybe your birth date even. So that would all be in part of that data breach. Um, And when we think about this kind of thing, of course, we're looking at identity theft and so many other things. Is there other, when you talk on the dark web, people who are sitting here saying, because a lot of people who use Twitter Lose it like I do. They just go out. They look for their their the people they're following. Maybe tip you know something a tip on something or uh, baseball trades as I like and that kind of thing. We don't really think of it as somewhere. Well, well, I didn't put anything real personal out there. We forget, don't we, from the day we sign up to uh, something like this happening. Uh, absolutely. What I would sort of consider those accounts to be, I mean, I think Twitter's evolved and it's become a more useful tool for people than when it first came out, but. Um, whenever you're creating a new account somewhere, you don't have to give them your exact birth date. You don't have to give them your exact, um, well, you'd have to give them your phone number if you need to verify it with a text message, but you know, you can have sort of a, a plan in place so that if someone was to get this information, they're not actually going to be able to do much with it because it's not a hundred percent accurate. Yeah. Yeah. So we're we're looking here at where most of us think, well, what are you going to get in there and do to my account? Post some silly nonsense on my account? Go crazy. We're looking a little more deeper than that on a level of you wouldn't know. You probably would never know someone's running around calling themselves, you know, Kelly McDonald and getting into trouble for it because it wouldn't be happening. You if the data data in there allows them to basically steal that identity, create an identity, whatever it might be that's logistic, you know, legitimate. 
they're off to the races doing it. Yeah. And, and the thing is, it's not just on that account. Like, right. They can maybe get into your Twitter account, but they can use those bits of data and add them to a database with more data and build out a bigger profile about you and get a credit card or buy a car or do all these other crazy things. Yeah. Wow. Um, what, what, what would you say people should do? Should we go in and, and change some, maybe late the horse out of the barn? Um, obviously you're, you're not going to, they're not going to be able to go and retrieve all that data, delete it or dispose of it. So it's there. It's, it's what's done is done. It's forward thinking right. we have to do. Yeah, it, it, you just have to be proactive with your accounts. Use unique um, passwords. Use unique um, email addresses if you can, if you have that ability. Um, and that's the only way you can really protect yourself because if one service gets hacked, potentially any service that you used those credentials with um, could be compromised in some way. Okay. Imagine that, eh? Um, Canadian carrier carrier tracking devices include tracking devices from Facebook and Google and things like that. What do you have to tell us about this, John? So one of the things that we've we've talked about a lot on this segment is uh, how a lot of websites like to track you for all kinds of different reasons. And by tracking, I mean uh, basically they put these little breadcrumbs or cookies uh, in the web page. The say the mass marketing email that you get, those types of things. And it lets them know that you've opened that email, that you've opened that app, that you're doing certain things. And uh, recently, someone discovered that all of the Canadian carriers, uh, your TELUS, your Bell, your Rogers, your Shaw, et cetera, they all have their own mobile apps that you use to do things like pay your bill and add and remove services, that type of thing. Well, they discovered uh, using uh, a tool called DuckDuckGo, which actually has this tracking functionality built into it. And it actually shows you what kinds of things have been tracked. Uh, so he installed all the browser or all, sorry, all the carrier apps and made a list of all the things that they actually track. And there's a lot of stuff in here that seems innocuous, but, you know, again, they don't need to know this information about your device. And it's everything from like your <clears throat> the version of the software that you're running on on their app. It's also the version of the operating system on your phone. It's also things like your location, unique identifiers, how much storage do you have available on your device? A lot of data. Like it's it's kind of crazy how much, like literally thousands of bits of data that are tracked by some of these apps for no apparent reason. Hmm. You know, it, it's funny because I, I sit here as you list off a few of those things and you think, well, okay, maybe they're figuring, well, whoever they're selling to or wherever else, who else is getting this information, this research, I, I think down the way you can see maybe where they figure they could utilize, oh, you've got storage space. So maybe we could pump out some things that you feel you could keep or want to keep and that be okay. Who, who knows in the way of the marketing and, and obviously for, for a carrier it would be to, to, to make a little extra money. But we also don't know where that information, who else is getting it, what how they're benefiting from passing that on from tracking this, do we? No, we don't. And like you said, there's a couple different ways they can use this data. I mean, one, the most obvious reason, and, and this was the response from a number of the carriers that were asked to comment about this, was the fact that um, we use this data, they use this data for uh, the, the ability to better understand the 
sort of the geography of the people that are using the particular app so that they can make improvements to it. That's fine. But, you know, there's a lot of, I, I would I would call them non-necessary trackers in there as well. And I mean, maybe they have a reason, but I suspect really what's happened is the developers, they have to hit a checkbox saying include this information and they just checked all the boxes. Um, and so I suspect now that some of this has been exposed, those um, the developers of those particular apps are going to probably go back and remove all the unnecessary stuff and maybe lighten the load a little bit on these tracking requests. Yeah, I would love to see that because I think the biggest problem is then we talk about it and people listening in, well, why are they doing that? Well, it sets us in that kind of panic because no one's disclosing whereas you know the, the companies are, well who cares i don't know like in the average staff member the average higher up management says well it's just part of the way the thing works who cares right um it's so hard to know or feel yeah is that the case or is information that 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 you're collecting somehow going to impact me and i guess that's where it gets kind of we stop and say yeah, but why hasn't anyone said this is going on anywhere? Well, where? I don't know, but how come? Absolutely. And most of the time, they'll just pass the buck to the to the next person up the chain. Yeah, for sure. Vancouver startup, Celeste, is that how you say it? Celeste? Um, yeah. Unveiled AI glasses for the vision impaired community. Uh, what is this? This is kind of cool sounding. Another product. Yeah, this actually is really interesting. This is a pair of glasses. They look like normal glasses. Um, they have a little bit fatter frames. And there's actually a camera right in the middle above your nose that it's, it's meant for you have to have the ability to have a video call with, say, friends, family. Um, they also offer an AI service that does a really couple of really interesting things. So one, you can have you know your your friend or family member on the line. They can see what you can see, and they can explain what you're seeing. Um, the, the AI can actually do things like object detection and tell you what you're looking at. And it can even read things like if there's a sign or a menu, those types of things. Um, it's, it's a pretty neat set of technology tools, not unlike like Google glass, but sort of reconfigured right. for a more normal presentation and, um, a very interesting use case. Um, the other thing it has is it has bone conducting, uh, earbuds sort of built into the, into the, into the frame. Into so the when you're arm. wearing it. Nobody else can hear what you're hearing, and you're hearing it inside your head. That makes and, sense. And it doesn't distract you or fill up your ear, because we all know, obviously, as, as low vision or blind people, we can't walk around with headsets on our head like some people do, crossing streets, or you're, you're a goner. Um, so I, I love that. And I also love, and, and maybe the price tag hopefully will reflect this as a more useful for the everyday person, that person that doesn't have to be a tech person wanting something like the Google Glasses to do a lot, but somebody who might find they, they have to do, they do a lot of walking and once in a while may find themselves in a lost area or if they're out shopping and they want to buy a card for someone or even just shopping, have that person who's at home and says, you're at the store. Okay, let's go through. All right, now you're walking into the you know the poultry area. Let's do, Oh, there's the chicken. Let's look at those prices and be able to literally walk with you through and and make you have that independence maybe you're that person in the family who's the most mobile when other people who aren't but they they can see um if you're utilizing so many of these practical but more basic functions nothing too too tough too hard um i, I hope it comes with a nice price tag 
It, it actually is on sale right now. It's seven hundred and fifty dollars. Nice. Um, they're nice. going to be shipping early next year, and uh, it's a pretty neat project. I, I I think a lot of the listeners might be interested in checking out. You think you're going to really? This is to me the kind of thing that changes a lot for people because I know we're very happy with things like Ira and stuff like that. But again, as we always talk about prices for for people in the community, a lot of time people aren't working, so things become a little prohibitive. But this is like a a one shot or maybe a few family members get together and pool enough money together to be able to buy something like this. And, you know, long as they don't get damaged or whatever, um, really everybody joining together could really make this a, a wonderful tool that you can use, including the AI help on it. Like you said, where it can identify certain things. Yeah, no, it, it looks like a really interesting product and it's kind of cool. It's from Vancouver. Yeah, I'm sure you check these out, John, let us know. And uh, maybe we'll get a demo from you sometime with them. <laughs> for sure what's it telling you john it's saying go find something to eat never mind <laughs> take care pal see you later uh john beeler of course joining us as he does on fridays for the program with the app update margaret someone like yourself you know you're not really a techie person does that kind of thing appeal to you if you were you know again you don't have to be going out every day to make the thing worthwhile uh, you know is that a cost that you could say hey you know what i i could get some help with that I almost couldn't, to be quite honest with you. Um, I, I don't think I would have to be going out every day to use it. I mean, no, I even at your computer, right? right? Like if you had some yeah. difficulty or, you know, and needed some, some help, some visual help. Well, and not just that, Kelly, but it's also the fact too, I don't know that I've had a day go by where I haven't wished I had a pair of functioning eyes for 30 seconds, you know, because you put something down and then you find out that, no, it's not where you put it and nobody else is around, you know. So, I mean, I, it, it can help you with that, yeah. You bet. And like you said, you don't have to be running out. You, It's that everyday use. Margaret and I will step aside for a couple of moments. When we return, a Blind Square app, has, the Blind Square app, excuse me, has added a trail in Niagara Falls to make the nature trail more accessible for the blind and partially sighted community. Karen McGee has those details next. Well, folks, remember that AEBC and partners present the 6th Annual International Day of Persons with Disabilities Conference, Empowering Ourselves is the title, Thriving in This New Reality. Tomorrow, that will start at 1 p.m. Eastern Time right here on AMI-audio. It'll also be available uh, virtually, of course, and it's uh, inviting everyone to come on out and enjoy. It'll feature ASL interpreters in uh, real-time live captioning, featuring guest speaker Michael Gothill, Accessibility Commissioner, among other folks that'll be on uh, on the dock at the talk. As mentioned... Joey Aguta will be handling our live coverage of that as a co-host tomorrow starting at 1. Registration is free and online at Eventbrite. So if you do want to register to be a part of it, do that, please. You can register also via email or request any accommodations at aebctoronto at gmail.com. aebctoronto at gmail.com. Kelly McDonald with Margaret Weldon. All right, and now it's time for our regional content report that happens uh, Wednesdays and Fridays at this time. And today we're talking with Karen McGee from um, Eastern Ontario and Quebec. 
Now, Karen, I'm not sure I have this right, but um, Blind Square has created, uh, I guess it's an app to make the Niagara Falls Nature Trail accessible for blind and visually impaired uh, people who wish to use it. Uh, have I got it right or have I mixed something well, up? Well, it's, it's been added to, so it's been added to the trail. So Blind Square works with um, those little GPS signals they put in, like they put little little sensors up and that okay. use your phone. It's for iPhone. Are you iPhone or are you Android? Oh, okay. And and so where are, did the are, money... Oh, sorry. sorry. Oh, sorry I didn't know, but do, do, do you use Android or do you use Apple? Um... Actually, I, I've I've used both, um, but I can't say that I've really used one to access a trail up in Niagara, so, like up there. So, yeah. yeah. So, so this is an app, and basically, it it uses GPS and voice commands to help users navigate their surroundings, and they put little sensors up that take you through the trail. Right. So, it's a new addition to the Heartland Forest, which was started by Doc by Dan Bauman. Um, for his granddaughter, Sydney, who was born with a rare brain disorder. And Dan was determined to provide a peaceful, accessible, and inclusive place to enjoy nature. And the Heartland Forest opened in 2004. And they have workshops, and they have group activities. And it's a really wonderful place, as I was, I was looking about it. Um, adding Blind Square to the Heartland Forest basically opens it up for people who are blind or partially sighted to walk the trails by themselves. You don't need someone to go with you. You can go on the trails by yourself and you get to enjoy the sounds and peace of nature. And Joe Green, who has been blind since birth, told the Niagara Falls Review that it's going to be nice to walk the trails and listen to the sounds of nature, which is it's, it's really powerful. And, and the story had, that I was reading, he, he went out and he could listen for the bird sounds, like sort of by himself and, and, know, and know what was happening on and find his way around the trail, um, which, which has got to be very... Um, very, very neat to do for you if you've never been able to do that for your first time. I love a good nature trail. And you know what? From what I understand over the like, from what I understand over the years, Niagara Falls just has some beautiful lands, doesn't it? You know, and I'm, and you know the nature trails, yes, but just some beautiful areas, doesn't it? Yeah, I need to go back and visit. I also hear they have good wine in that area, but that that's you know that's between you and me and the bottle. You must be talking to my brother. <laughs> <laughs> because he loves that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, I actually just just to go offside from it, I do know that um, I he did tell me that they even are starting to do things to make their wineries accessible or accessible up there as well. You know, like like we more definitely need yeah. road trip. Yeah, road trip. <laughs> there you go Why? on location. All right, yeah. I've got a plan. I'll I'll put that forward. Sounds great to me. I'll Oops. I'll wait to hear from you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Now, where where did the money come from um, to 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 uh, get all of this going? Like, did did uh, Mr. Bowman, you know, ask do a fundraiser? Did he go to the government? Where how did that happen? So it was actually funded. It's twenty cost twenty thousand dollars to do, so it's not inexpensive. Um, it came from the David S. Howe Fund at the Niagara Community Foundation. So it's local money going back into lo to make local things accessible. Um, as CNIB spokesperson Marianne Bent said, an app. Like this at Heartland will allow the users to enjoy Heartland sounds, smells, and other sensations. But what's really neat is it can also act as a training tool for those who are newly blind to learn to live without sight. So take people to the trail, let them use the apps and learn how to get around using the technology that's available. That you know, this this technology wasn't here 10, 15 years ago. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's that's that, that's true. And, I, and it's amazing, isn't it? Like, you know, when you think of all of the things that can be done and, and, and the positive outcomes. Yeah, I know several people who use their phones. Um, um, I won't name any names, but who are who are of an older age. And they, they said like they, they wouldn't be able to do the things they do without the technology. 
to get get around by themselves and do the this. It's been life changing, which is lovely. Well, we've talked about how the pandemic has really, I guess, got people more comfortable, whether it's computers, uh, especially the older people or their phones. But I, I like the idea because over time, as we see 5G, different things coming in, more coverage, knowing our government saying, hey, we can't have rural areas left out of 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 Internet service and slow speeds and things like that, that they want to correct. But everything broadens and broadens to make apps like this one really help out. So uh, this is this is incredibly empowering to when someone can actually go and say, "Yeah, I'm going for a walk. I just need some time alone," and that's beautiful. Alone in, in na- alone in nature. Would you do it, Kelly? Would you go and try it out? Oh, sure, sure. I, I mean, I've used Blind Square and just the stuff that it allows you to do within a municipal area is fantastic. But I've been waiting for that. And as every time I hear about satellites allowing you to be able to do a little more, uh, I think it's just tremendous. Even just even if you're with other people, just feeling safer that you can check things out for yourself. Or if you say, I, I'm just going to go for a walk. You know, you don't ever feel like you're having to burden somebody. I, I, I recall doing when I was working TV stuff, you know, just that time you needed to get away from everybody because I knew everybody was watching, looking out for me. And I thought, gosh, these guys have got to come off duty at some point. They can't always be worried. I don't want them to wander too far. He might fall in the creek or something. It's because you know? we love you, Kelly. It's because oh, that, we love you, see, Kelly. That's, that's, that's what they tried to sell me too. But it's like, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it really is wonderful, Karen. Like it's a, it's a tremendous effort there. Um, you've got another tremendous effort. I, I always love to hear about people sharing their experiences. The few of us on the team the other day were talking about the library feature where you, you could take out a person and learn about what they've done and their life experience. Well, here's something really interesting in a book, uh, a Paralympian from Windsor, Ontario has written a book about her experiences. What motivated her to put this book together? So Danielle Campbell McLeod has spinal muscular atrophy. It's a neuromuscular disorder. And when she was young, her parents put her in the water to swimming lessons to help build her strength. And what started sort of as a way to make her strong and help with her pain, because as we know, being in the water can be very liberating and, and very, it takes the pressure off all your joints and bones. Um, it actually turned her into an elite athletic career, which I'm sure her parents didn't have in mind when they started the swimming lessons. <laughs> she is complete. She's it's amazing. And when you let it, when you let a kid try something new, it's amazing how far they can go. Oh yeah. Um, she, she's competed in two Paralympic games and has won seven Paralympic medals. She's 37 now, wow. and she's the mother of five, which alone deserves an Olympic medal because like, it's amazing. Um, she wanted to write a book so her children had a way to know her story. And some of those leaving a legacy behind. And I've seen, you know, I've, I had books from my mother and grandmother where they could write down things they remember from their childhood. It's a way to sort of pass on your story. And what she told the Windsor Star was the motivation behind it was to give my children a gift of knowing their mom and the struggles I have gone through and how I've always gotten back up after each struggle. She actually started writing the book after her fifth child was born. She had some, Diana had some complications and ended up spending a lot of time in the hospital. And to keep her mind busy, she started writing a book and she eventually paired with local journalist Marty Bonotto, who helped her complete the book. So I think that's uh, awesome. I love a good book. I will read everything and anything you send my way. Wow, that's really amazing. I I love the idea. I want my kids to know what, what I went through, whether it is the bringing up children, the, the meeting, you know, their partner, uh, and not to mention the great stories from two Paralympics, the efforts, the work, the moments of I'm failing here. I'm not doing well. And as well as the triumphs, 
that is amazing stuff for uh, because the kids aren't going to know. Oh, well, we don't remember you doing any of this stuff. We just remember you in the kitchen making cookies. <laughs> you know, or how, telling of, us to or telling us to clean our room. That's right, know? and go to bed and all that nagging nonsense. Did you nag your your fellow athletes too, Mom, when you're out there? You know, <laughs> it, it really is so tremendous, Karen. Because also, and you know, we're always saying any advocacy taking the, per- the 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 person out as a book to say tell me your story because i have no idea what you went through what you did and i think not only for the kids to know but it's nice for other people to hear what what paralympians you know, what they went through on the road getting to where they were and learning about their life and sport and the can do attitude absolutely i uh, i think you guys should have her on actually i, yeah, I was she, thinking i shouldn't be, be the, i shouldn't guest. be the one to tell i shouldn't be the one to tell you her story She's she can tell you her story. Have her on. She sounds incredible. I can tell you, you guys should uh, put her on one of the uh, our community stories. Boy, that's something. Um, <clears throat> yeah, am I saying something too soon? Anyway, uh, don't don't take all my tricks away from me, Kelly. Why don't you be quiet, Kelly? Stop telling <laughs> stuff before we're we're signed on the dotted line. Uh, where can people buy her story? So as of today, you can order it on Amazon. Um, and what I oh, I just realized I have never given you the title. It's called Resurrections, My Will to Survive is Olympian, which, quite frankly, I get goosebumps just reading that trial, wow. that, that title. Love That's how a she great title. Ooh, boy, that really is. I wonder how she came to that. Uh, the mind is a wonderful thing when you let it just do its thing. It's amazing the start of it, right? That she's in hospital taking that time and what that life changing after your fifth. Like, there's just the things that happen there to make her say, I need I need to put my story down. I, I love it. I, I'm looking forward to getting a copy of it. Awesome. That's great. Margaret, would you read this? You know what? I actually would. I, I, I actually would. I was just going to say, I, I think I'm going to try to see if Sila has got it or, you know, maybe even um, Bookshare or, that, or whatever. But Karen, we thank you so much for your time today um, and, uh, and your information. Your stories are wonderful. Have a wonderful weekend. And I guess we'll thank- catch up with you soon. Thank you. It's my favorite way to start my weekend talking to you guys. Have a good one. All right. For Thank Karen, you. the gateway's open there, Max. Yeah, there you go. Right. <laughs> that was Karen McGee, our content development specialist from Eastern Ontario and Quebec. And wow. uh, don't forget to check out the ami.ca slash Kelly Cole blog for the topics we discussed today, as well as other information that we've provided on the show. Thank you. We have another hour of Kelly and Company. A popular fantasy book audiobook series, excuse me, has charmed its way up to a billion hours of listening. Ryan Huey has the scoop on that later on. Plus, let's get to conversation recaps and comment on segments from the past week on Cut for Time when Grant Hardy rejoins the program. Up next, though, Meg, she's getting ready over there. She's hosting in place of Bill Shackleton the Friday Buzz. Stay tuned. Maybe you're checking us out right from your computer at AMI.ca where you can stream AMI-audio, Kelly and Company, and settle back and listen in to our show, our live one, 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, repeats at uh, 10 p.m. Eastern Time and 6 a.m. in the morning uh, here on the network. 
You may also be checking us out through TuneIn Radio or the Radio Player Canada app. Awesome apps to get on your smart device to enjoy listening in to Kelly and Company and any content on AMI-audio. Vacation on these Fridays for the next little while. So where do we start with this edition of the Friday Buzz? Oh my goodness, we have uh, a, a lot, lots of things. Everybody get out your passports over there because we're going to do some traveling today. So first we're going to go to um, Ottawa where the first Indigenous Canadian Indigenous woman was appointed to the Supreme Court of Canada this past Monday. Her name is Michelle Obanzwin and she is a Francophone, I believe, uh, of the Apenagi, and I know I'm going to mix this up, the Apenagi community in Quebec, and I'm, I apologize if I didn't get that right. Michelle says that um, she has a lot of people to thank, you know, uh, that, that a lot of people to thank because they not only supported her to get to the Supreme Court and, you know, getting to sit on the bench at the highest court, but also just even going through the trials and the tribulations and uh, studying, you know, all kinds of things like that. Now, she's also a very emotional person, she says, and one of the people that she really wanted to thank was her husband, Pierre, for putting up with her. (laughs) So, and Chief Justice uh, Richard Wagner said that, during their interview in a question-answering period, um, he remembered Michelle telling a story about how a high school teacher told her that she would never be able to make it in the legal society. She'd never be able to get anywhere. And she says, well, you know what? I've shown them. And Ragnar says that he hopes that other students, you know, watching the ceremony and maybe are having a tough time, look at Michelle's story and make their dreams come true as well. So... Congratulations to her. Wow, good for her. You know, it's often, Margaret, we've heard that story of, well, you'll never be able to make it, you know. And a lot of times it's said in supposed care, uh, confidence to the person who they're saying it to. Uh, Hey, and, you know, there are times you want the honest truth. And if, hey, I'm going to deal with this or I'm going to deal with that, I'd like the heads up because I plan to navigate around it. Um, But, you know, you also stop and say, yeah, but that's because... People have these roadblocks put in front of them that they shouldn't, and it should not come down to race or anything like that uh, or sex or or whatever it might be. Um, But when someone triumphs and overcomes and can kind of thumb their nose and say, yeah, yeah, I did it. And again, you already go through so much work to get to where you are, yet in her position, there's so much work ahead. So Fedora's off to a fantastic, Margaret. Oh, most, like most definitely, most, most definitely. And I hope students out there, you know, really stop and, and uh, maybe just, you know, d- dig deeper into this story because it really, well, yeah. it really is. And, lot, and it's know? good for you, for me, because we need to hear this stuff. We, especially when people get in those moments of thinking of quitting, of stopping, Hey, look, you know what? Maybe I'm barking up the wrong tree and I should go elsewhere. Um, we, we all need to stop and think about something, someone, who was able to make it through it. And, and hopefully you're that next person. That's right. That's that's right. So congrats to her and uh, hats off to the tour family and friends as well. For sure. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, the next story, last week I did a story on the White House and the Bidens, um, you know, pardoning two turkeys from having to be eaten at Thanksgiving dinner. So this week there's a new, another tradition, which I didn't realize went on every year, but maybe you guys did. I don't know where they set the Christmas or they actually, they, they set up the white house for hall with holiday decorations and holiday themes to make people feel welcome. And just to basically, you know, put them at peace and give them a sense of positivity in that. And this year's theme was uh, 
decided by Jill Biden, the first uh, lady who called this year's theme, We the People. And she says the reason they call it We the People is because it brings people together. And she says, but you know what? We've had a lot of trials and tribulations um, for many different reasons, but you know, a country is better when we're all united. And some of the things, some of the decorations that have been used are um, in the East Wing, there's bells that hang up and play and uh, they represent melody and song. Then they have red cardinal birds that are to represent those who laid their lives down in the Canadian military over the years. And, you know, it represents them plus lost loved ones and all that kind of thing. Now, I know there's a lot of pictures on that website. Um, and actually, I'm just going to defer to Jeff for a minute. Jeff, have you ever seen have you ever seen this? Like, I, this is the first time I've ever heard about it. Um, but I, I don't know if you've ever seen such a thing. No, I don't think I've ever really seen anything like this before either actually no yeah and 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 i i even tried to get to, i even tried to get something where we could hear the bells um so you know I, so if you ever get a chance to go to the white house i guess <laughs> maybe you could uh, um you know take a look at that and finally today one of the other um phenomenons is the types of christmas or holiday markets that take place across the world and CNN compiled a list of about 17 of these markets. And one of the markets that made the list this year was the Toronto Brewery District Market because of its decorations, um, because of the, the selection of treats and all kinds of things. I personally have never been to this market. Have either one of you? No. Yeah, I have. I have. I, I went a couple of years back. Um and it, it really is beautiful, although I do recommend that you go during the week, if possible, during the day, especially the closer you get to Christmas. Because, of course, everybody wants to go out there and check out what the distillery district in Toronto has to offer. And um, Kelly, I believe we actually had um, somebody on the show a couple of times in, in previous years describe the tree that they put up. Oh my and, goodness! Yeah, yeah, we and, have definitely. And the tree topper. I know there's usually this big star that goes on top. And Margaret, this tree is like 50 feet tall. Like it's massive, and they get it imported from somewhere up north. And it's uh, it, it really is a big to do. And I remember, and you know what? I, I am. I'm sorry, I cut you off, Jeff. I, I actually, I'm thinking. Oh shoot! Yeah, I went there. David Arrington and I. I was doing a shoot, and we did a Christmas greeting. Uh, for AMI TV in front of the big tree. Now that you mentioned it, it was like, oh, shoot, yeah, I've been there. Yeah, like it, it really is a, a big deal here in Toronto. And I'm glad that it's made a list like this because that's pretty impressive. Like, Margaret, I'm taking a look at your article. Like, they've got Manhattan, New York, London, England, Germany on here, Finland, Sweden, Denmark, Estonia, Croatia. Like, the, like, and to have Toronto Distillery District on there is really quite special. And just a quick story um, I used to commute in from Ajax, which is like a suburb of Toronto, about, I don't know, half hour, 40-ish minutes east of Toronto. So I'd hop on the, the train and I would either go to school or go to work when I had to work downtown. And it was always cool seeing the tree for the first time because when you take the train down to Toronto, 
you pass right by the distillery district and right by that tree. And it was always really cool to see what the tree looked like each and every year. And every time you'd be leaving or coming to Toronto, you, you, I, I couldn't help but have a smile on my face and, and sort of put me in a little bit of a better mood and maybe the Christmas spirit just by looking at that. But it's a, it's a great place. I mean, um, mo- much like I think other Christmas markets around our country and around North America, you can find, you know, maple syrup, you can find fudge, holiday decorations. I think I got some cool cookies, hot chocolate. They've got restaurants. Of course, they're in the distillery districts. So they've got beer and wine and other sort of liquor. So um, it, it really is cool. It's, well, it's really special. And they have the benefit of it being in a, an area gated, if you want to call it, because there's, there's, you know, interest where they can close it completely up at night. So you've got a lot that makes you feel like, it's a, a piece of Toronto that is totally converted at that time to Christmas, to the Christmas theme, Margaret. And especially, and especially now this year, because um, it, the, I, I, this market actually basically took a two-year hiatus because of the pandemic, or which a lot of markets did apparently, right? A lot of, like across the world, a lot of these ones that we've listed today, they've either scaled back, but they're saying this year they're bigger and they're better, they're brighter and better than ever. And tourists go just to see these various markets. Like, I didn't know that this kind of thing was so popular. Yeah. It, and it's and you wonder how different they are. Like, you know, I mean, if you traveled around the world, obviously you're going to get the feel of wherever you're going to. But versus Toronto's versus Montreal. Ver- and, and again, you stop and say, well, of course they're all going to be so different. There's so many different things, so many different environments. And what's important to each area. Sorry, Jeff. Yeah, no, it's in a great location too. I mean, if you're ever in Toronto, it's about a 10, 15 minute walk east of Union Station. So like it's, you know, not in a bad location by any means really. So, um, and and like you guys said, it's, um, there, there's so much to do there. And also it's picturesque. Like I always see all my, at least a couple of friends a year posting on some sort of social media, um, in front of, you know, uh, some sort of Santa Claus tent or under the tree, or they've got some great lights set up for, for, for a backdrop of a photo. Like it's very, very picturesque. Um, and you know, I, I, I feel like, um, again, go, go during the day if you can, because it does get like really, really busy, uh, towards the end of the day. And also, you know what, some, something else I should just point out quickly, Jeff, um, if you go during the weekdays. Um, you can go for free, but if you go, let's say between Friday afternoon at 4 PM and, uh, Sunday, whenever it closes out there, you will have to buy tickets. So, you know, it, it's, it's a nice, uh, little activity maybe you could do through the week. And you're right with, with the crowds and that too. That's, is that uh, the biggest tree in Toronto? I, I think it is. I think that's the, think because so, it's yeah. got the space not because you liken it to Rockefeller Plaza in New York and other cities all have their their big tree and that's really where Toronto is able to have their big tree um, all lit up and as Jeff said going by on the train it must be something you know for people to look out and just see that tree. Mags wonderful stuff thank you. It was lots of fun thanks Kelly. We'll have another edition of The Buzz next Wednesday when Bill Shackleton rejoins the program. Margaret and I will be back, however, in just a couple of moments. Uh, Ryan Huey, he'll join us. A popular fantasy audiobook series has charmed its way up to a billion hours of listening. We'll talk about it after this.
you doing there, Ryman? Jumping the gun? I'll leave Folks, the guy alone. <laughs> seen and Not Heard is a podcast series will be airing on AMI-audio December 17th at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Carolyn Minx is the author and star of this podcast series. The fictional story is about a young woman uh, named uh, Bet who lost a significant amount of her hearing in their uh, late teens. And, of course, is adjusting to life with a disability from her struggles with romance, her parents, learning ASL, and dealing with day-to-day life. Seen and Not Heard offers a glimpse into her life. Following the presentation of the series, check out Jacob Shemansky's interview with Caroline Minx. Seen and Not Heard on AMI-audio, Saturday, December 17th at 11 a.m. Eastern. Margaret Weldon with me, Kelly McDonald here. And it's now time for our Chatty Bookshelf segment with Ryan Huey. Hi, Ryan. What have you got for us today? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a cold Friday in December, and I just wanted to remind you guys that publishers, retailers, authors, and uh, really anybody that has a presence in the audiobook world uh, in terms of sales – will be starting their 12 days of Christmas giveaway and you'd be hard pressed not to find a company that doesn't do it these days. So look out on social media for those giveaways, for those freebies. Uh, Some are handing out free codes. Uh, There's a lot of different things I've seen out there already and it's, you know, only the beginning of December. So uh, I'm looking forward to to this month and seeing what we can get our hands on for free out there. So do you think there's um, outside, like, I mean, Outside of the, the free stuff we're talking about, Rye, do you think there's a panic when it comes to movement of audiobooks or with the pandemic uh, and with obviously costs? I mean, people can only buy so much stuff at any given time, but is is it thriving? Is it, or have you heard of mm, industry taking a hit? Honestly, no, for the most part. Um, the, the I guess the hit, if you want to even call it that, is that more people are renting or borrowing from libraries or bookshare right, clubs rather yes. than rather than buying. But I think the point from an author and a narrator is like, I don't really care how you listen to it as long as you listen to it, right? Uh, for the most part, obviously, you know, if, you, if you're someone's uploading it to YouTube and everyone's listening for free, yeah, they got a problem with that, right? But you know, the the libraries do uh, have deals with with publishers and authors and things like that to get the books there out into your hands or into your ears. And I think that's a lot of um, even publishing companies are more uh, receptacle or receptive, sorry, to um, the libraries having these books and letting them be borrowed out. And it's got to come back, eh, Margaret, twofold when it comes to people listening. If you're loaning someone a book, they're hearing about an author maybe they don't know about or a book they don't, a lot of people in more cases will say, geez, I want to read this again. I want this myself. I want it for mine or I want to read more of the material. So it must kind of work twofold. I think it works more than that too, Kelly. And I I don't know whether it's because um, I enjoy the audiobooks myself, but I must say even in the past couple of years, I find a lot more people talking about books now, um, you know, the, the audio books. I mean, it used to be that a lot of people would, you know, talk more about TV shows that they used to like to watch. But now the books seem to be out there and seems to be a top form of the um, entertainment world. And so. Ryan, there's budget now to have actual commercials on TV for this stuff. You see the Audible commercials all the time. Well, I mean, Audible is 
owned by Amazon, right? And Amazon Prime is showing all the Thursday night football games and that can't be cheap either. So there, you know, the, the money is definitely there. And it's really interesting because I think word of mouth is so powerful, <laughs> even if yes. you're using the social media, uh, you know, it's still still considered word of mouth, right? So Ryan recommends this book. Oh, even if three people go out and buy it, that's three more sales. Um, whether or not I borrowed it from a library doesn't matter as long as you're getting the kind of word of mouth out there. I think that it's, uh, it's really cool. And then a little bit off topic when you're talking about word of mouth, I'm actually going to be in DC next uh, Friday. So uh, I'm going to a bookstore called Capitol Hill Books. And it's really cool because I'm, I'm going to do a little bit of a story on it, but they have a banned words list and I'm hoping to grab some interviews with some people there. So fingers crossed, but we will have some more information on, on that too. So it's, it's going to be a really fun listen. That will be tremendous. And um, yeah, it, it really will. But I'm just thinking about the fact that you, <laughs> what you said, do you, do you think any of the uh, New England Patriots or Buffalo Bills uh, re- read audiobooks? I'm sure a lot of these guys do. But it's funny <laughs> you mentioned that because uh, I was I was laughing at the commercials and it's so, so poignantly true. But even outside of the Amazon football game, seeing them and it's just absolutely wonderful. Ryan, let's get to your actual topic today. What interesting story do you have to share with us today? I found this truly fascinating, but I think it's because I'm a big book geek. So before I begin, do you guys know how many, like how much time actually 1 billion hours is? No, I'd have to crunch that with our friend. with the I, So did I, Google. right? Yeah. Exactly. That's what I did. Just for context, it is 41.67 million hours, or sorry, days, pardon me, or 5,470 years. Wow. It's quite it's quite a long time. Uh, and yeah. one one prestigious book series has reached one billion hours of listening time. Any guesses? It should be quite easy, um, but uh, we'll, we'll see. Well, I, I got to say, probably, and the wrong person is here is 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 not here in this group right now. Uh, is it got to be our our old boy here, Harry Potter? Absolutely, you got it. And okay. wow. even though I've never it's listened, I can't me. believe. One billion hours, like just to put that in context, like I can't believe how long that is. Like that's that's incredible. Even if you're not a fan of the series, you have to appreciate that. And people are still going crazy over it, whether it's a re-release, whether it's a, I mean, obviously Audible could be like, hey, here's a dollar off. And someone that doesn't have it probably would just say, okay, great, I'm going to pick it up, right? And then start listening to it and you're hooked. Apparently after the first book, it is just you're you're all in. You're jumping well, in with two feet, and, and you're listening re-listening, right? That we hear the mm-hmm. like it's one of those types. You know, Ryan, you read lots of books, and you'll never pick that book up again. You read it; it's oh, that's great. That was interesting, cool ending. Boom, it's gone. But this is one of these things people reread. Like my mother, before she passed, was a huge fan of this stuff. Um, and, and I always chuckle because I started reading one of the books before it became what, what not, I won't say what it is today, but even before the first book became so popular, it was sent to me, uh, through CNIB library at the time. And I, and because I, in place of something else, I'm like, what the heck is this thing? Um, I didn't make my way through it and then it exploded. You know, I read a good part of it, exploded, and it's phenomenal because it is the kind of thing that people return to the scene of the crime rereading it. So that's got to really also be factored into this. How many, you know, again, the, not taking away from the success of the series. No, and you're absolutely right. And I even, you can bridge that over to the movie too, right? Like you go see a movie once. Okay, yeah, I'm done. But these movies, they, they keep going back. I bet you if you put the first Harry Potter movie in theaters right now, it'd be sold out tonight. And that's uh, with and, the people uh, who own it. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> still right? Going so to it to watch it on the screen. 
It's well, how about the Broadway the, the, play too? Like, like how about what was what was that? Brought the the cursed Harry Potter and the cursed child. Now, does that is that connected with? Well, the a lot of the, the a lot of what I noticed they do is set it up with. Um, they run the movie and then get an orchestra to play along with it. They do that here and always at once a year do one of the uh, the them that way because I see it advertised. It's every mm-hmm. angle one can have to to immerse people in it. Um, but when you look at rereading, and we're just talking the audio book, really, aren't we, Ryan? We're not talking just, hey, someone picks it up and reads it. We are talking just audiobook tracked hours. Absolutely. This is not considering print copies sold. This is not ebooks. This is not anything. This is just the listening hours for the audiobooks. So, 1 billion total listening hours. And that's unbelievable to me. Like, that's so many hours. Just like we said, it's over 5,000 years. Like, can you imagine? I, I, I just can't even. Uh, it's it's just unbelievable. So a lot of a lot of the questions surrounding this were like, how can how can one series do this? So here's a little bit of the facts around uh, the series. So it was released in audio seven years ago and there are seven books. Uh, so it, interesting. So seven books that, you know, included in this one billion hours. However, there's actually 14 books because there was a UK release and a, a North America release with two different narrators. If it was any other series, I would say, hey, that's cheating. But I don't think it matters if you, you know, re-release this five times, ten times. You'd just be, oh, we're at 10, 10 billion hours kind of thing. I think that the fanfare and, and the love is there. It doesn't matter, and it would still be there whether it's one or two. It'd still be pushing the one billion hours because, like right. you said, the re-listening is un- it's uncharted here. And this it was just this such a fun article. I, I read it and, you know, dare I say, reread it about four times just to make sure I got all the facts right. But it, it's a really cool article, and a lot of people are chiming in. From the book community, from uh, Audible, uh, they had uh, quotes from the author, quotes from the narrators, uh, even some quotes from the people that played the characters in the movies. And they had, oh, we had no idea the audiobook was so popular. We've only read the print copy. Maybe we should go listen, kind of thing. So I, there's some more added hours into that, right? And it's just an amazing journey. And I can't believe, really, it's only been seven years. Like, can you believe that? A billion yeah. hours in seven wow. years? I know I keep repeating that, but that's. I just, but here's a question for you, Ryan. Yeah, but here, here's a question. Um, in this article, did it ever talk about, um, did it ever break it down to say how many hours people, you know, for each book to total up this, this, uh, this, this large number? No. You so said there's seven books, down, right? Yeah, it didn't break it down per hour. But what it did do is like one of the fun facts was how many times from start to finish would you read the series? And this is 8.5 million times someone has read the series from start to finish. And that's not to say, oh, maybe someone just read book two and then called it quits because that might have happened. I highly doubt it, but you know what I mean? Uh, Or someone could have stopped halfway. No, I don't like this. But they said about 8.5 million times the series would have been uh, listened to from start to finish uh, included in this one billion hours. And that's that's a huge number too. Oh, it is. It's phenomenal. Uh, and, And not many series have that because they're not... And I don't want to say design that way because I'm certainly not suggesting for a moment J.K. Rowling, this is the way I'm going to make this so that people will reread, reread, reread. Yeah, you're going to get some people that do that because they like something so much. But the 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 um, cult <laughs> following it has uh, has just really made it so wonderful. Anything else, sir, on those facts? It's actually really cool because uh, one was a little vague, but it said, you know, if you were to put, put this down into space travel, you'd only be about five light years away from Pluto. I don't know how far a light year is, but they said that's not that far. 
Uh, so they're like, you know, the universe is vast, but this is this is still a crazy amount of hours. And then really fun. So it said you could tour Hogwarts uh, Academy campus 14,000 times from start to finish for one billion hours. And again, I haven't read the series, so I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming that, you know, 14, uh, 14,000 times, that's, that must be a pretty big campus then kind of thing or um, academy, right? So uh, really cool with with this stuff like that. But what what I found even cooler was some of the praise that people were getting. So you have um, the narrators and they're just, I can't believe my words have been listened to this many times. Uh, Harry Potter was the book that Audible shot into space uh, in like the sound wave kind of thing to see if anything would come back. And, you know, obviously it never did, but uh, that should be included in this too. There was just a lot of really cool things associated with the story as if Harry Potter needed more press, but this is just a wonderful thing to release right around this time, the holidays. And, you know, I bet you it boosts sales a little bit if you, if, as if it needs it, right? That's right. That's it. Well, Ryan, thanks so much for your time today. Um, a great series and have lots of fun in DC next week. And we'll talk to you from thanks, there. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Have a good that weekend. Was, you do the same. That was Ryan Huey from the Chatty Bookshelf, and he joins us next Friday for another audiobook talk. You know, it's interesting, too, because uh, some of the things that, that, I've, that you know Ryan had in his notes uh, uh, about it, um, I'm, I'm just looking here, uh, you know, even just the time for reading it did not take you know the 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 whole working it out and and reading the whole thing uh to to record it but so many hours for people listening back and it's just pretty phenomenal and uh congratulations to the the Potter fans out there because they've made something very unique very amazing are we going to see that again Margaret in history when it comes to audiobooks and and I love the tracking of these things of course we will we think may take a while for that to happen or maybe there's something out there that we haven't realized has the same kind of cachet when it comes to listening hours but really amazing we'll step aside for a couple of moments ladies and gentlemen and uh as we usually do on for fridays when we can we're going to revisit and weigh in on conversations from the past week on cut for time stick around Folks, check out the Kelly and Company podcast. Subscribe using your favorite podcast platform. It's easy to do. Just look for AMI-audio. Lots of stuff there you can subscribe to while you're in. Points here. You can listen to the show in segment form. So if maybe you have a favorite community reporter or contributor or a segment that you came halfway through and said, oh, my goodness, yeah, this sounds like a good topic. I'd like to go back and hear that. Well, go ahead. Go back. Since you came into it, in the midst of it, you can go back and listen to the whole thing via the Kelly and Company podcast experience and the segments that are put out there. We'll, we'll even talk about some of the segments from this week shortly. Also, listen to the show in the complete form if you want to hear the show from maybe you got your hands uh, busy doing some baking and you just want to put the show on and listen in. You can listen to the complete Kelly and Company podcast experience. Just use your too, favorite podcast platform. What's that, Max? Yeah. And actually, two quick things. It's the full octane Kelly and Rumya with all the fixings, but don't also. For, but also, there's also the vanity cards at the end too, right? Oh, with you betcha! Always yeah. the vanity cards too, tossed on, and anything else we can. If we have any extras, we'll do that with the uh, complete uh, Kelly and Company podcast experience. Mr. Grant Hardy joins us as well, ladies and gentlemen. He's sitting, settling in here, uh, in from his home out in Vancouver, back on the program here. 
Grant will, will weigh in on what we're going to talk about next. We do this every uh, week at this time on Cut for Time, ladies and gentlemen, where we talk a little bit about some of the segments from the program because the idea that is, hey, I had something I would have loved to have said when I heard this question answered or when we were on this topic, but of course we had to cut our words, our comments, uh, because of time. Uh, obviously our guests, people speaking, our contributors, they have the floor, but this gives us a chance to throw something in. On Monday's show, we had our sports segment with Brock Richardson. This week he dove into a very interesting stat regarding two deaf baseball players in the 1800s. Take a listen to this. In a career that spanned over 15 seasons, William Dummy Roy was the first ever deaf player to ever play Major League Baseball. From 1888 to 1902, Roy batted 288 with a 2044 total hits and 596 stolen bases so that's pretty crazy as well the second part of this then in his final season while with the Cincinnati Reds Roy batted against New York Giants pitcher Dummy Taylor making this the first time two deaf MLB players ever played against each other so when we were talking on the segment of course the subject came up of what this this name, um, which one would say, well, that's part of the nickname. We know a lot of sports athletes, we have nicknames for them all the time. Everybody uses abbreviations, you know, when they refer to them. We see the post-game interviews, and you have these abbreviations for, for people's uh, names or what they're called around. That And it, it, I, I don't want to say they're pet names, but they're they're meant of terms of, hey, man, this is, this is my brother player. This is terms of endearment, whatever you wish to describe that as. And we know that this has existed for years. And we know that at different times, names can have what we would consider. And in a 50 years from now, people will consider things that we say uh, inappropriate as we hear them talking about changing the names of schools or, or places based on, you know, that that person was involved in, in slave trading or that person uh, did horrible acts uh, against the indigenous community or against whomever. And... We know that part of our process is going to be to start not naming things after people. But I, I digress. I want to go back to the fact that this is the late 1800s. And we have this reference to the deaf gentleman in question. Dummy. And, you know, you hear this and, you know, it got by. The stat was fantastic that Brock uh, brought out. But it also brought that, that just that cringe moment where you say, what the heck? Why would you have called them that? And it wasn't that many years ago where these things were just, you know, accepted as it is. There's not that many years in the future where we sit here now and say, yeah, you can't say that. You can't do this. And you've got to remember, folks, there's going to be in 50 years things you say and can't do. You know, you watch any of the old TV shows. There are some things that were never done on them that we do now. Things that were done on them back then, we don't do now. It's just not done when you think about it, Margaret. Exactly. That's true. And actually, you know, even if you think about um, just just terms, like I can remember reading the book, uh, Helen Keller, and, you know, she was the, the deaf and blind lady that became a teacher and all that. And they used to describe her as deaf, dumb and blind. 
Yeah. The same thing with that Tommy. Remember the the pinball player? Yeah, yeah. You know, de- that deaf, dumb, blind kid is, is how they used to describe it. And to them, those t- types of descriptions were the way of life. And and, and like you, Kelly, I heard that um, description on Monday and reheard it again today. And yeah, the, the, the dummy aspect Really meaning not speaking, me meaning do not yes. speak. At the yeah. that's what they referred to, and at the time was acceptable. That's, that's okay. As we've yeah. had other terms that you know were at, at times in history that seemed to be acceptable. Uh, but I can tell you, and it, it took when Brock read it, it's just kind of like oh, it jarred me um, yeah. because I I know baseball, hockey, football, all sports are filled with stuff, and there's lots of stuff that's supposed to stay in the locker room or at practice or whatever. Okay, okay. But off the top, we're talking about, you know, um, you know, uh, Hockey Canada. And it just makes you look back at history and, and just say, wow, how many lessons, Grant, have not been learned? Yeah, boy, there's a lot to unpack here. Where, where do we even start? I mean, I think, you know, it really kind of bothers me with people uh, when people will say something like, we can't change our language. We can't censor the past, you know, because we can't erase, you know, we can't erase history because, you know, really in reality, like our society should be evolving with the times. It's not necessarily even to demonize individuals from the past, but it's just to recognize that certain terms, certain language, and even the associations uh, with them are dated. And the the concepts associated with them, the, the ways that we used to think of people are, are dated. And yeah, I think part of so being, funny. Res- yeah, part of being respectful and inclusive as a society is we have to kind of, go beyond this to 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 say that nothing should be censored comes from a position of privilege yep and it's an archaic an archaic viewpoint and and again folks before since i'm rattling major league baseball in in this sense for something from the 1800s we've seen progress where what they used to call the disabled list has been done away with because of being an inappropriate thing to say. They go with the injured list, which was a term years ago used. Then we went to disabled list, now injury list, because we know, yeah, why would you be calling it that? And so we have seen the progress, and I guess, Grant, progress being away from terms like like this this one used on these ballplayers from the 1800s, so... Yeah, boy, I, I would almost say we're preaching to the choir, except that you'd be surprised, like, we'd be surprised how many people with disabilities even don't think that language of referring to race or gender or sexuality, other protected characteristics should be censored that's offensive. And and again, I, I think it, it just comes from a position of, you know, what what do we want to be? Do we want to be an inclusive society? I would, I would like to think we do. And that's not to say we have to be the language police, but maybe just be mindful of some of the words that uh, we use moving forward. You betcha. Um, yeah. So on Tuesday, you guys, uh, you and Rami actually spoke with Rhonda Solomon. Now she's a PhD student at the University of Toronto, and her research focuses on public toilet provision provisions for people with disabilities. And she found that just by the way public toilets are regulated, how they're designed, it actually really mediates and regulates people's 
mobility. How public toilets really are seen as kind of um, objects that are very not going to be used properly or just going to be used for for un, um, unacceptable kind of behavior. And so there's just the having to provide them is seen as like such a, a, a controversial issue because of how they're going to potentially be used, um, which is why we have so few of public toilets in the city. Um, when it comes to design of public toilets, it is almost even more critical in a way because the design well, this sort of flows out of the, the rest, well, do we need public toilets? And if the city has determined, well, we don't really need them, or we need them only for a very specific population, then why pay attention to how these facilities are designed? And if you don't pay attention to how they're designed, they're ultimately <clears throat> going to end up being exclusionary. So I, I actually have to say, I think it's very courageous of her to open up about herself, to do her own research, because this is the kind of thing that often is sort of swept under the rug. Uh, but it's very surprising uh, how many people, um, uh, you know, how many people have public toilet needs that aren't being met. They're ba basically public toilets have been traditionally designed for cis, hetero, uh, white men, people with disabilities and other minorities haven't really be been considered uh, at all. And it actually surprisingly regulates our mobility, Kelly, because, uh, you start to restrict your activities. You start to restrict things you can do because you're not sure when you're going to be able to use the washroom. I know for us, locating them, accessible signage, uh, you know, just the open concept of the washrooms designed for, for men, even for us, doesn't always work. I don't know how you feel, but it can really affect your day. Well, you know, all those things so true, as we, we talked a little bit with Rhonda about that, about having to figure out, am I going to do this? Am I going to go out? Or that's in that area where I'm not sure I know where there's a, a bathroom to utilize. It, that, that thought you have to have that other people just look for a sign. The other thing too, Grant, I've noticed is even using washrooms, you go in to use them, you're not sure if it's going to have just sensors for locking the door because we're trying to be aware of people not wanting to touch surfaces, which is fantastic. But for people like ourselves... Uh oh, how how do I know if this door is actually locked? Because it has a light that when you sweep your hand past something, you hear a click. Maybe if there's not too much noise or whatever, but it's not like you can grab the handle, shake it, and see if it's actually locked because you reopen the door, right? So, I, uh, some of that accessibility with technology is also working against us, Margaret. Yes, that's very true. And um, I just want to take this off into a different direction for a minute too. When we think about um, public toilets, we we think you know about you know, the, the toilets themselves. And I often find in a lot of restaurants in Toronto too, when you go, if you need to use a the washroom, it's always down in a basement where you have these thin rickety stairs that you have to climb down. Um, I, I don't understand the need for that. But I also remember Danielle McLaughlin bringing this topic up once on Know Your Rights. I think it was last year. And it was because um, a, a young lady wrote in saying that she and her family always had to carefully plan their outings because the her sister was incontinent and and there just were not places that would provide enough room or provide a big enough um area where you know a, a diaper could be changed discreetly and and properly so yeah it's i don't know i'm i'm kind of surprised this still goes on and, well, and uh, Margaret, yeah. I just want to acknowledge that the heritage buildings, they're the big problem. And in a place where you have an older history like Toronto, 
it is really hard to not find a place to, in a lot of places people want to go or things are happening that have those bathrooms downstairs that are kind of exempt from necessarily putting an elevator in in the huge cost, if it's even remotely possible, if the structure will handle it. Yeah, yeah. And then, too, you never know how, like, I remember hearing something about a month and a half ago where somebody managed to sneak in a cell phone in, in into a washroom, <laughs> you know, and, and get pictures and like you say, you know, you, you would hope that the sensor, the sensors on the doors would lock properly or whatever, but ah, uh, yeah, there's all, there's all kinds of things to consider. That's true. Um, just briefly uh, on uh, Thursday's roundtable segment, Kelly and Ramya welcome Sylvie Fiquette to the table and Kelly and Ramya did, or, and Sylvie did a little bit of reminiscing about AMI and how far it's come. Let's take I a listen. I think it was around 2002 that I joined as a voice print at the time, a, a, a coordinator at the Vancouver Bureau, and it was a reading service. So we've we've come so far in leaps and bounds, Kelly, that I can't even imagine. Um, but everything is is um, just change and growth and evolving, and it's pretty wonderful. I think when you look at uh, uh, as things evolve. It's pretty amazing. And really, I thought you were here before me. So I, I, I do apologize and throwing those dates out to saying, oh, no, you were back here in the real troubled times. And, you know, and I when, was. Uh, OK, so <laughs> I, it was before because I came in 01. So you were there. And when we say troubled times, folks, it was, it was just a time when money was lean, not there. And uh, it's so important when we talk about the renewal uh, of the license and, and at the time when there were struggles and so many people had to come in voluntarily uh, keep the ship fl- uh, floating back then. Now, I'm not sure how many people are are aware of this, but um, I, my family and I used to live in Burlington, Ontario. And I remember a voice print getting started out there with Burlington Cable and a gentleman named Jerry Pride. Now, I don't know, you know, how it was created or anything like that. I can't give you the details. But what I do remember is how many people thought it was amazing that Burlington Cable was able to, you know, help uh, get get something like this going. And I can remember, you know, we, we, you know, you had access to certain articles in that for a couple of hours a day. And it's been really fun to watch AMI grow from, you know, a, a small, basically company or small service, I guess, into what it is today. So I, I want to thank everybody out there who's had something to do with this and to say, Keep going because it's still fun to watch. It's still fun to, to take part in and be a part of, and it's very special. So that's that's that. And Grant, you come in at a different well, time in history. Well, I I actually did uh, an interview on voice print back in 2002 when I was still a, a preteen, basically, about uh, some uh, voiceover work that I did. I produced a voiceover demo tape, but my... Uh, First involvement with AMI was in 2010 on the TV side, and then I got full time uh, full time position in 2015. It's been really just amazing to see how this company has evolved, and it's great to see representation of people in front of the screen and now a little bit behind the the, the, the scenes as well. People, Kelly, that maybe ordinarily are underrepresented or not represented at all. And that's what's really great about 
this company, I think. Well, and also doing the things they may want to do. You know, I think it's always wonderful when people get to say, I'd really like to do this. And it doesn't have to be held down to being this specific thing because, well, traditionally, this is this is what low vision or blind people have always done. I think my first time ever, and, and I only discovered this in the last few years, listening to an old cassette tape I found, I was at a, a, a conference for teenagers and I remember being asked to talk on a panel about being blind and in, in high school, uh, regular regular high school, um, and it was an audio recording of something that was aired on voice print. It was recorded and put out on voice print, and I didn't even realize that, and I've had this cassette given to me for doing it for years. Grant, thank you very much for being with us for Cut for Time. Margaret and I will return in a couple of moments to wrap up the show. Stick around, folks. More great talk, more fun, and more of Kelly and Company coming up after the break. Thanks for being with us. It's Kelly and Company, Margaret Weldon, Kelly McDonald, host of the show, and thank you wherever you are listening in. Appreciate it. As we swing open the gateway to your weekend, we remind you to check out the podcast. We just talked about segments from the past week. Hopefully some of that intrigued you. Go in and subscribe using your favorite podcatcher and maybe give us a, a rating and review. Margaret, do you have a segment you'd like to kind of expand a bit on today to maybe suggest for people to go back and take a listen to? going to suggest that story by Karen McGee today, the one about the Blind Square app and making that trail in um, Niagara Falls accessible. The reason being is that they've done a lot for their recreation facilities out there. Uh, You know, their power station now, their boat ride under the water. I know it used to be called Made of the Mist. I'm not sure what they call it now, but yeah. And and, uh, really just a wonderful story presented by Karen, but also hats off to Niagara Falls too. Well, and I, I think when you look at, and, and it's great stories Karen brought during her uh, report today, but when we talk about Blind Square and we see these things, where are they going to go? I mean, Blind Square's been been around um, Tom Decker, uh, the late Tom Decker, when he was doing uh, tech for us on the program, even before Kelly and company, him and I used to do get together and do some stuff for podcast stuff for the network. And... I remember talking about Blind Square with him back then. So we're, we're looking at 2014, 2015, and having these interesting conversations about what they were doing, utilizing it, and kind of trying to understand it. So not really knowing, not really having access to GPS like that, positioning, understanding, well, how can you tell me what's near me? How do you know? And understanding all that with your phone to where it is now, where that that liberty it gives you is pretty phenomenal, Margaret, to be able to say, hey, and not really difficult, but to be able to put it in a mode, walk and know and that with your cane, with your skills, with your dog, you, you just trust because you, the last thing you have to worry about is, am I going to make a wrong term? Am I going to get lost and be stuck in here for the weekend? Yeah, that's true. That's, that, that's true. And, they, and as Karen said too, you know, it just gives you that sense of independence. So if you want to go for a walk alone and enjoy nature or enjoy whatever, you know, you, you can you can certainly do that. And uh, that's thanks for that blind, blind, the uh, blind square. I think it's truly phenomenal. 
Well, I'm excited to see where it goes next. And I don't think, you know, I mean, you probably can remember back to when you had that empowerment, just picking up a cane and learning how to properly use it and learning a little bit about jumping on a bus and everything like that. And we're talking, you know, years ago and just the small steps we would take to learning stuff. Now people can learn how to use that cane and almost jump to tell me where I'm going. I want to go here and have that accessibility that other people have either using their eyes or being able to use a GPS in a vehicle, whatever it might be, um, and, and be able to get out there, but mostly feel safe, mostly get the exercise that we want when you want to do it, instead of having to try to push someone to go with you, hey, man, want to go for a walk? Well, not really, but come on, please. I you know, <laughs> like to go for a little bit of a walk. Um, it gives you that extra support. Not you know, And for people who are comfortable as it is, it gives you that extra support that, that people might say a, a cane gives them or a dog. And I think it's pretty wonderful. Margaret, uh, people can check all this stuff out via the Kelly and Company podcast. Simply subscribe using your favorite podcatcher. Some things we've talked about today on the program on our Friday edition. Folks, the gateway to the weekend, wide open for you. So uh, head on out there. Enjoy. uh, Be safe. Margaret, thank you for sitting in on the program. Uh, It's nice to have you here on this Friday. It's been a it's been an honor and pleasure, and it's uh, been a really great ride. Have a wonderful weekend, Kelly. And Margaret, you'll start collecting more of your Santa Claus parades to watch on online right or on tv yes and i'm going to get my hot chocolate my marshmallows and all that ready (laughs) (laughs) have have a nice weekend bye margaret weldon thank you very much again co-hosting today on the program on monday brock richardson will be sitting in for the week along with me coming up on that particular program folks uh, jenny sweet from the cnib smart life program uh will be wrapping up the year and tells us what we have to look forward for look forward to in 2023 on know your rights Danielle McLaughlin will be joined by Karis Weeble, Director of the Fundamental Freedoms Program for the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, to discuss the inquiry into the uh, Emergencies Act. And on a lighter note, we'll have that sports update with Brock as we make him do uh, double duty on the program. Thanks to Margaret again for filling in on the program. Producers for the show, reporter Grant Hardy, Ramya Amuthan, Marianne Dion jones visual producer Jeff Ryman, who is teching our show today, senior producer for the program Matt Agnew, live production uh, manager is Paula Deneen, manager of AMI-audio, Andy Frank, of course. You take care of yourselves, folks. Be safe, and uh, do me a favor, will you? Get out of here, will you? Hey guys, Jeff here, and the last couple of weeks I've been doing a bit of a deep dive into my phone, and I stumbled across three pictures that really made me smile. Two of them were in Newfoundland, and one was at a gun range in Ontario. The one in Newfoundland, or at least the first one in Newfoundland, was of both Kelly and Remya kissing the cod. This is uh, when we got screeched in the very first day we got to St. John's, Newfoundland. Super special moment. I highly recommend you guys do it. But having that picture of both of them kissing the kissing the fish, and they they uh, they both look fairly happy. You know, usually if you're kissing a dead fish, frozen fish, <laughs> you might not be overly thrilled. But they had a a great time with that. Also in Newfoundland. 
we went to a fantastic restaurant and as we were ordering uh, as I was reading the menu to both Kelly and Remyet, they stopped me immediately when I said the captain's boil. They're like, yep, we are going to get that. Just a giant bucket, like legitimate silver bucket of uh, seafood. And I'm thinking, are they going to share this? Like, that's a lot of food. Uh, they polished it off pretty easy peasy, but I got a picture of both of them. Again, just smiling ear to ear showcasing the food they have in front of them um and the last picture was when we were at a gun range in southern ontario i'd say about three four maybe five summers ago and uh, kind of an intimidating and scary picture that i got of remya when we were in the gun range she had a giant gun this thing was basically the size of her and she's looking down it with one eye, uh, looking into the barrel and one eye shut. And it was really intimidating looking, uh, really funny. And you also can see me, Matt, and Kelly in the background just chuckling because, like I said, this gun is pretty much the same size as her. So it was kind of fun stumbling down memory lane and finding some of those fun pictures. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.